Hello and welcome to ILTV Zion News and the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, tensions between Iran and the United States threaten to spill over into Israel. A highly publicized rape investigation encounters major flaws. And a new documentary is released following the life and times of real-life Jewish super spy Mo Berg. As tensions between Iran and the United States escalate by the day, Israel could very well be caught in the crosshairs, as experts are now seeing a pattern of Iran initiating several provocative incidents in the region. And the fear here is that Iran may target Israel, forcing it into a conflict that Israel does not want. Plus, considering Iran pulls the strings for its proxy organizations in Syria and Lebanon, Iran certainly has the means and proximity to do just that. So in the meantime, Prime Minister Netanyahu is already preparing for a worst-case scenario. He's assembled his security cabinet twice within a week, which is extremely rare, and the IDF is coordinating two large drills up north. Then Netanyahu, who attended one of those drills, said that he hears our neighbors from the north, south, and east threatening Israel's destruction, and he warns them not to test us. Now as for the United States, Washington is sending a thousand more troops to the Persian Gulf, and now United States Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is assuring that this extra military presence is just supposed to dissuade Iran from trying anything rash. In fact, the official White House line, for now anyway, is that United States President Trump does not want war, and Pompeo added that the administration is simply doing the things that are necessary to protect American interests in the region. But Iran, too, claims that it does not want war, while at the same time claiming that they will not capitulate to U.S. pressures. So finally, it doesn't help, then, that the United States is currently left without a Secretary of Defense. This, as Patrick Shanahan, Trump's nominee for the demanding position, withdrew his candidacy this week saying he wants to spend time with his family instead. The Palestinian Authority hasn't had much luck recently, considering its economy is on the verge of collapse and ties with the United States are strained, to say the least. But the PA did get some good diplomatic news this week, as the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, agreed to let them join their international body. In fact, on Tuesday, the deal was made official in an agreement with IAEA Director General Yuki Amano and PA Ambassador in Vienna, Salah Abdul. But what does this agreement actually mean? Well, for one, it gives the IAEA access to check radioactive and nuclear material safety within the PA. And the PA, of course, doesn't have any nuclear reactors, but certain research institutions do contain nuclear materials. Meanwhile, though, Israel is not too happy with this recent development, as Foreign Minister Spokesperson Emmanuel Nachshon slammed the agreement, calling it a violation of international conventions. And such a reaction falls in line with Israel's overall concern of a PA slowly gaining international recognition. For example, to date, the PA is also already a part of UNESCO and the Universal Postal Union. But that said, one of the many challenges with recognizing the PA in any capacity is its lack of firm borders. And this gray area is expected to put Israel in a tough spot when the IAEA begins to conduct inspections. Some suspect that Israel's reaction is much ado about nothing, though, and the IAEA says that it has no intention of wading into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Further, a spokesman for the Watchdog Group said that allowing the PA to join does not equal any firm recognition of its borders or even its statehood. Moving on, the Egyptian government has finally agreed to pay Israel $500 million in order to settle a gas dispute. And this following the breakdown of a 2005 deal between Israel Electric and the state-owned Egyptian General Petroleum Corporation and Egyptian Natural Gas. Now, originally, the deal required that Egypt export natural gas to Israel. 
However, in 2012, violent attacks on a pipeline in the Sinai Peninsula caused the agreement to collapse. So Israel Electric proceeded to sue the Egyptian companies since Israel relied on the pipeline for its energy needs. Though the Israeli company ultimately decided to drop its claims, resulting from a 2015 arbitration in the International Chamber of Commerce. And the settlement deal instead reduced the $1.7 billion fine to $500 million, which Egypt will now pay Israel over the next eight and a half years. Now, Israel has limited energy resources, but in the past few years, major gas fields have been discovered off the coast. And Israel hopes that these reserves will allow the country to achieve energy independence, thus explaining why infrastructure to tap these resources has also started to be built. But as of now, the Tamar Reserve, for one, has an estimated 238 billion cubic meters, and the Leviathan Reserve has an estimated 553 billion cubic meters of gas. Additionally, last year, the U.S.-Israeli consortium Noble Energy announced another deal that would enable the export of natural gas from Israel to Egypt. And in a reversal of roles, this would be the first time Egypt would import gas from Israel, though Egypt was also the first Arab country to sign a peace deal with Israel in 1979. Now, earlier this week, a Palestinian man named Mahmoud Nazmi Abed Al-Hamid Katusa was arrested for allegedly raping, assaulting, and abducting a seven-year-old girl. But did he really do it? While residents of the ultra-Orthodox settlement, where the young girl is from, are not so sure. With one resident in particular even telling Israeli radio that he thinks the real perpetrator of this horrific crime is still on the loose. In fact, the neighbor claims that it's highly unlikely that an Arab man was able to drag a young girl kicking and screaming while she was out in public without anybody there to witness it. And ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods are, after all, densely populated with families often walking along the streets with their many children. Then equally fishy is that there's no document that outright states the girl was raped, and her undergarments were likewise never sent to a forensics lab, which is the standard procedure in the aftermath of a reported rape crime. Further, Katusa had an alibi for the time the crime is said to have taken place, and his lawyer said that the sloppy police investigation is reminiscent of the Dreyfus affair, where a Jewish-French captain was wrongly accused of spying for Germany. So as a result of all this controversy, the Israel police announced that it will extend the investigation in an attempt to examine these unanswered questions. And here's hoping that whoever did commit these crimes is brought to justice. In other news, Jewish groups in the United States are now condemning New York Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for a recent Instagram video she posted in which she compares the United States immigration policies on the Mexico border to Holocaust concentration camps. But beyond raising questions about Ocasio-Cortez personally, this latest incident of alleged anti-Semitism from the Democratic Party again casts doubt on whether the Democratic Party truly represents American Jewry. And here now with more is Heather Stone, the chair of the Democrats Abroad in Israel, and Davidi Hermelin, the president of the International Center for Public Diplomacy in Israel. Thank you both very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now Heather, I'd actually like to begin with you. Is this, in your opinion, the case of uh, you know, minor, maybe even unintended anti-Semitism, or is this, uh, you know, being blown out, out of proportion, or is it maybe just, you know, an unfortunate misuse of the vocabulary, or is it accurate? I think that this is blowing things completely out of proportion and not taking uh, seriously what is actually going on. Okay. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is looking at what is going on on the southern border, and there is actually a policy by the administration to take immigrants and move them en masse, place them into detention centers, and you can use terminology and say detention centers, concentration camps, and they are in fact concentration camps. They are in fact placing them in, into 
isolated centers in dehumanizing conditions and not allowing them to have access to social services, legal services, there's no fly zones over them, there's no way for people to gain access to them for human rights services. It is awful, and there have been a number of people who have examined this, including a number of Jewish groups. And it's, so the use of concentration camps is not necessarily inappropriate. When you look at Jewish social justice groups that have also examined this, now I want you to also understand that the use of concentration camps is not necessarily sanctified only to the Shoah. Though that word has been used in the context of the detention of political prisoners, undesirables, illegals in Russia, in the United States, in Australia, in Britain, long before Nazi Germany. Now, I'm not trying to diminish what happened to the six million Jews in, in uh, Germany at all. And what makes it different in the Shoah was, of course, the plan to exterminate the Jews. And I'm not trying to, to say that that's not a very important distinction. But what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying to say is that there is a very real possibility that by calling immigrants coming to America, dehumanizing terminology like termites and people carrying disease and making them into subhuman, which we have seen before and we have suffered as Jews before. And when we have a Torah that has told us 36 times to, be, to take care of the stranger because we were strangers ourselves, then we have a commitment to take a look at what is happening and not turn away, not turn away. And so we have to look at what is happening and not, we have to bear witness. We have to bear witness to this and we also have to look at what is happening to give, to give of ourselves. And the Democratic Party has put forward legislation and that legislation, where is it? It's sitting in Mitch McConnell's graveyard. It's not moving. Right, well, okay, that so is gonna... the fault of the Republican Party. The GOP well, is just not doing well, its the, job. Well, that may, that, may, that may be true, and that's an arguable point. But, uh, but this policy of separating families at the border to voir dire, you know, whether or not the adults who are coming with the children are really related to them, whether or not you know, their intentions for entering the states, that, that started long before Obama. That was, that's, that's not a new policy. No, no, no. This is different, okay? What happened with Obama well, and before Obama well, was, that was, taking, was taking teenagers, okay? This is taking children. There's a four-month-old baby that was just separated from his parents, okay? There was a father who was just put on a plane, and he said, I'm not getting on the plane without my child. And they said, just take your seat, and we'll bring you the baby. And they closed the doors on the airplane, and the plane took off without right, the baby. Well, that, is, that is inhuman. That is inhumane. That right. is what is happening. Well, wanna, there are babies, there are well, toddlers wanna, well, that are being over. separated from their parents. Okay, right, well, well, Davide, we're not I, I talking get, about teenagers. Right, well, I want to pass over. I want to pass this over now, Davidi. You know, what, what's your take on this, and you know, how how would you respond to uh, to Ms. Stone? This is not my place to judge the internal policy of the United States uh, uh, on this uh, subject. 
and I would like to, although I'm speechless uh, after I've heard uh, some of the things here, but I will keep this principle that I will not judge American policy about American things. What, what is concerning me is that uh, Heather and maybe others ignore the motivation of Ms. Cortez while saying concentration camps because uh, the, the real meaning is to say it happens every day so it's not really important what happened to the Jews back then. And this is the motivation of uh, Ms. Cortez. Unfortunately, uh, I'm, uh, you know, in Israel we respect and cherish the friendship with both parties. But I really recommend and hope for the Democratic Party that uh, they will not experience what happened to the laborers in the United Kingdom. Uh, when uh, anti-Semitism became something that is happening. And uh, the, prog the, uh, the ex extremist progressive wing of the Democratic Party is very close uh, to, be, to demonstrate uh, uh, apathic emotions regarding anti-Semitic expressions. And I think that some expressions, some terms are dedicated, not verbally, but semantically, to what happened in the Holocaust. And when Ms. Cortez said concentration camps, she meant like in the Holocaust. And no one in the United States, Democrats or Republicans, do not, does not take people from the continent to collect them, to put them in concentration camps. It's not the same. No one is sending trains to bring those people. I correct you. So, please, I correct you now. And you should listen and understand that it's, you cannot compare and you cannot use this. This is unheard, unacceptable, and history will judge you and your political friends harshly if you will be silenced when people use this ex uh, term to, to, uh, to, dis uh, to uh, describe something which is going now on your borders because no one is sending trains to pick those people to make soaps of your, their bodies. How can so, you so, compare it? Well, sorry, so Shame on you. They are, so not, they are not sending them to extermination camps. They are sending them to what I, what I would use Detention camps. Okay. Okay. So, so, these but, are ex these are what many rabbis, including a rabbi, Rabbi Dania Rotenberg, wrote about in Esquire magazine four or five days ago. Concentration camps, and they are not being sent by trains. They're being sent by planes from the southern border, and they're being sent to Sills. Sills oh, was a detention was a was a concentration camp used well, used to, to hold. Japanese Americans during World War II. Now I have to tell you, they were held then and they are being held now in subhuman conditions. And that but, is but, a tragedy. That is a tragedy for Americans. So, so I, don't want, I don't want to diminish the impact of what you're saying. I don't want to, and I don't want to diminish that message and I don't want to diminish the fact that uh, 
you know, what's happening on the on the southern border in the United States is certainly uh, very problematic, and and uh, you know, conscientiously, it's a very difficult thing to navigate, uh, situation to navigate. That being said, at the topic at hand, using the terminology of a concentration camp, I understand that perhaps she was trying to bring some sort of attention. Uh, but she was does, quoting da Rabbi Dania Rutenberg. But, uh, but again, going true, back to the heart of, of the question, does, yes. does it not dilute the meaning uh, when comparing things that are not extermination camps to the Holocaust? No, because understanding that it is awful. It is awful when there are concentration camps. There, it is awful. We have seen this in the past. We have seen it. But in would the, you compare and, and, what's no, happening on the southern Mexico border to what's happening to Muslims in China, or what? what yes. Or what happened to them? Yes, I do. I think. But that, we're not. But the United States is not killing people. Yeah, in those, no, in those, I, I, they're not. They're, they're not. Motivation. We don't need to wait for that to happen. I think we need to call do you, it do out. Do you think that the United States would get to that eventuality? It, listen, the fact that we have a president that uses language that calls. Mexicans and South Americans, termites, and and uh, and that they're uh, and they're rapists. He started his campaign by calling them rapists. Okay, that's how he started his first campaign. You know campaign the half truth was no. a lie, but Excuse I'm not trying to defend my final comments. Final no, 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 this is the regular leftist terminology. Also, we can hear this in Israel. Final comment. Final comment. But this is how this is how we we don't wait for it to get worse because we have seen this before, and that's why we need to you have real legislation that will actually change things. There is democratic legislation okay. that's been introduced right. and well, we need Mitch McConnell to do right. his job. Okay. I just, uh, well, I, I just uh, hope uh, that uh, people see that the motivation is to criticize right. the president and if we say, like the Holocaust, right. so the, it's the, also the, okay no, it's not on this campaign. So Shame Stone, on you. Davidi, Davidi Hermelin, Heather Stone, thank you so much for coming in. Unfortunately, thank you very much. Thank you. Now, it seems that the horrific shootings in Pittsburgh and Poe have finally roused the United States Senate into action. As late last week, Senators Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, and Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia, introduced a bipartisan resolution condemning all forms of anti-Semitism. And while introducing the bill on the floor, Cruz said that discrimination in the United States against Jews is a shameful legacy that must be eradicated. And then Kaine added that lawmakers must acknowledge the uptick in hate crimes against Jewish people in America. Additionally, without naming names, Cruz also insinuated that Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's accusations of Jewish dual loyalty, coupled with anti-Semitism on college campuses and recent acts of violence, are all troubling signs that the United States has an ongoing, if not growing, Jew hatred problem, adding that this resolution attempts to do what Congress could not, pass a unifying bill that unequivocally condemns anti-Semitism. This in reference to earlier this year, when Congress tried to pass a similar bill, and opposition forced Congress to water it down into a bill that condemns bigotry of all kinds instead, not just anti-Semitism. But again, this latest Senate resolution has 56 co-sponsors, 14 of whom were Democrats. And the move was welcomed by Jewish rights advocates as well, like William Daroff, the Washington director of the Jewish Federations of North America, who called the passage of the resolution a concrete step towards standing up for the Jewish community. Now, for mothers unable to conceive, IVF, or in vitro fertilization, has become a miracle. And right here in Israel, a country that absolutely adores babies, the demand for IVF is on the rise. Further, according to a two-year-long study by the National In Vitro Fertilization Database, it's women over 40 who are seeking the treatment the most. 
though unfortunately success rates for these women who undergo IVF are low. For example, success rates for a 40-year-old woman in one treatment cycle is 16%, which decreases to 11% for 41-year-olds, 8% if she's 42, and as low as just 3% if she's 43. Meanwhile, women under 35 have a much better chance of taking to the treatments, with 33% of patients being able to conceive after just one IVF treatment. And these results were gathered by the National In Vitro Fertilization Database, compiled by data summarizing the years 2017 and 2018 from all local IVF clinics. Still, though, in general, IVF treatments are eventually successful, with one out of every five cycles of fertility treatments in 2017 ending in a birth. And unlike most countries where IVF treatment is insanely expensive, Israel is one of the few places that subsidizes part or all of the treatment. And that's because IVF is part of the national healthcare basket, making IVF treatments available for all those who need help conceiving a first and even a second child. In fact, IVF in Israel has been available since 1980 for couples with no children from their current marriages or for childless women age 18 to 45 who wanted to have kids in a single-parent household. And finally, this is good news for a country who already has a very healthy fertility rate. In fact, Israel has one of the highest fertility rates among Western countries with 3.11 children per mother. In comparison, most mothers in developed OECD countries have less than 2.1 children each. In other news, a recent archaeological discovery in the south of Israel has now revealed a watchtower dating back to the time of the Kingdom of Judah during the 8th century BCE when King Hezekiah was in power. And the location of the site indicates that the tower was at an observation point for the Hebron Mountains, the Judean Plains, and around the area of Ashkelon. Additionally, in coincidental fashion, the ancient military observation point was discovered primarily as part of excavations conducted by the Israeli Defense Forces Nature Defense Forces Project. Commanders take responsibility for their environment. And this being a project run by the IDF's Tech and Maintenance Corps in cooperation with the IDF, the Ministry of Defense, the Society for the Protection of Nature in Israel, the Israel Parks Authority, and the Israel Antiquities Authority. Though despite the incredible find, soldiers in connection to the discovery took a more humble take on the situation. 2nd Lieutenant Roy Ophir of the Paratroopers Brigade, for example, said that the archaeological excavation was a routine break from my point of view, though he added that this was the first time he participated in excavations, and that, quote, the connection to the land and the fact that there were Jewish fighters in the past gave me a sense of mission, and the fact that there was also a connection to the area where we carried out our own military maneuvers left us with a feeling that we were giving back. But finally, the tower today reaches about 2 meters in height, and it's estimated to have stood at about 5 by 3.5 meters in size back in its day. Additionally, it was built by large stones, some of which weighed as much as 8 tons. And this was just one of many such towers believed to have been built by the Kingdom of Judah in the times of the First Temple. And finally, there's now a new documentary out about the baseball player-turned-spy Mo Berg, and the famous Berg spent 15 years in the major leagues, uh, first as a shortstop, then as a catcher, and then as a coach. But again, while his career in baseball was not particularly noteworthy, Berg is best known as the spy who worked for the American Office of Strategic Services, a predecessor to the CIA during World War II. In fact, Berg traveled to both Switzerland and Italy to uncover secrets about the Nazis' nuclear program. And Berg's story has been told before in both a nonfiction book and a feature film. But filmmaker Aviva Kempner wanted to do something different this time by making a documentary. Kempner hoped also to make more documentaries about lesser-known American Jewish heroes who helped fight the Nazis. But at any rate, Berg, who did not even have a bar mitzvah, ultimately became very proud of his Jewish identity. And among other languages, he even spoke Hebrew and Yiddish. Further, he fought for equal rights for Jews within the United States, and while attending Princeton in the 1920s, he refused to join a dinner club in which most Jews were not allowed to join. 
But this was on top of every day that he spent as a Jewish man spying in Nazi-occupied Europe, risking his life. So if you'd like to learn more about this real-life hero, the new film, The Spy Behind Home Plate, is now playing in select theaters. And now for today in history, on June 19, 1995, Jewish cartoonist Hillary Price's cartoon strip Rhymes with Orange appeared in syndication for the first time. And with that debut, the then 25-year-old Price became the youngest woman ever to have a nationally syndicated cartoon strip. But based off of one-off situational gags and jokes, Rhymes with Orange covers every topic of discussion from medicine and the undead to distracted operators and aging. And as of today, the strip appears in roughly 400 newspapers and websites and has earned three awards for Best Newspaper Panel Cartoon by the National Cartoonist Society. Then finally, in efforts to pay it forward, Price today teaches professional cartooning and writing workshops for both creating and executing the perfect gag comic. Now, let's uh, take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be partly cloudy and warm with a low of 72 or 22 degrees Celsius. Then tomorrow you can expect clear and sunny skies with a high of 86 or 30 degrees Celsius. That's it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.61 shekels to the American dollar. For more news from ILTV, please subscribe at ILTV.tv. And finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook at Israel English News and follow us on Twitter at ILTV News. I'm Aaron Porras. Thank you for watching.